0: You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If
1: you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony,
2: well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast.
0: Here's the question gay men all over America, were not asking each other and their friends On Monday morning last week. Are you a Jeff, a Curtis, a Pratt, or a Tom? Jeff, Curtis, Pratt, and Tom are the four same-sex attracted, but not gay guys who were the subject of a new show on TLC, the same network that brings us the horrible and horrifying Duggar Family Circus. Uh, The four guys who are same-sex attracted, not gay in the show, my husband's not gay. These are guys who – some of them had had boyfriends. Some of them obviously have had gay sex if they've had boyfriends uh, who are now married to women because they couldn't reconcile their faith in Mormon Jesus. They're all Mormons with their sexuality. So one of the other had to go and it wasn't the imaginary friends. It was the gay. So these are guys who acknowledge that they are same-sex attracted. They struggle against their same-sex attractions and they are part of the same-sex attracted community, they say. And their wives uh, are married to them and their wives insist that their husbands are not gay and they insist that they are attracted to their wives. As one wife put it on this very, very depressing and stupid and silly and shitty show, he chose me over all the other women in the world and all the other men. None of these men entertained for a moment the the possibility that it might be bisexual. And if you watched the show, uh, which I wasn't able to do before last week's show, so this is why my commentary is a week late, uh, your gaydar was pinging so hard. Um, My gaydar was pinging so hard I thought I had a migraine after a while. My ears were ringing right out of my fucking head. These guys are gay. And they make this distinction between gay, which is an identity, and same-sex attracted, which is their identity, they identify as same-sex attracted, as a part of the same-sex attracted community, but not gay. Whereas gay is same-sex attracted and same-sex attracted is gay. Sorry, sorry to break that to you, Jeff, Curtis, Pratt, and Tom. But if someone were to ask me if I was a Jeff, a Curtis, a Pret, or a Tom, I would have to go with Tom. Tom is the single one. Tom is the guy who has not yet conned some nice Mormon lady into allowing him to put his dick inside her and move it back and forth while he thinks about dudes. And the show is sort of built around getting Tom a date with a nice Mormon lady who might think about marrying him despite his thirst for cock. And Tom points to the fact that he has no dress sense as evidence that he's not, you know, really gay. Can't be gay identified cause he can't dress himself. Uh, but the one gay trait he does have, though, uh, is a deep and abiding love of Broadway musicals. Which I share. Tom, you're gay like me. I have no dress sense. My husband, who is not not gay, has to dress me. And then I sit around the house in the clothes Terry picks out for me and listen to Broadway show tunes. It's you can do it. You know, you can be the no dress sense Broadway show tunes fag. I do it. The show is a creepy fucking advertisement for the ex-gay community and and a new iteration, sort of a new mutation on this whole ex-gay thing. Because when you watch this show, here are all these ex-gay guys who describe themselves as still same-sex attracted, but they are in the ex-gay camp theoretically. Some of them used to have boyfriends and now they have wives and they have children. And what's clear from this show is you can get a gay guy, because Jesus, to stop having sex with other men and to not identify as gay, not to describe himself as gay anymore – but he's still going to be attracted to guys. He is still going to be same sex attracted, That that does not go away. That Jesus will not cure that for you. And these guys on this show, they spend, it seems every waking moment of the day, struggling against their same sex attractions, struggling against their desire for gay sex, which is crazy. You know, watching the show, I was so relieved that I'm actually – I've allowed myself to be gay because there are holes sort of – there are hours and hours in the day every day where I'm not thinking about gay sex because I had some earlier. And that's really the quickest way to sort of move past your same-sex desires is to have some same-sex action because then you don't spend all day long thinking about it. These guys, their are entire identities – they hang out only with other same-sex attracted guys. They have a same-sex attracted prayer group where they study the Mormon Bible. They have same-sex attracted outings where they go camping, just them. Camping. Without the wives. Camping. I'd like some night vision goggle footage of that tent. But anyway, we have been hearing about ex-gays for a long time. We have heard from the religious right, from the Peter La Barberas, from the Tony Perkinses, from the Mike Huckabees that change is possible. That was the slogan of Exodus international change is possible that faith in God can change your sexual orientation. Nobody has to be gay. That was another one of their bullshit slogans. And you watch this and they, they're losing that Exodus closed down the head of Exodus admitted that he was still gay and although married and he hadn't changed and he hadn't really seen anybody change and it doesn't work. Reparative therapy doesn't work. Nobody changes. Guys just learn to stop having gay sex, right? And to maybe use a woman as a human fleshlight and masturbate inside her while they think about other dudes that they'd rather be having sex with. And apparently, after watching My Husband's Not Gay, there are some women who will sign up for this treatment. There are some women who are raising their hands saying, yes, yes, I will be your Mormon wife fleshlight. But the guys are still gay. And the reason we're getting this, my husband's not gay shit, and then here I am, super gay husband, still thinking about dudes, still checking them out, is because they can't keep peddling that lie that change is possible. So what they're showing us now is change is impossible. You're still going to be gay, but you can lead, you can live the heterosexual lifestyle. You can have an opposite sex partner to whom you are married, and you can treat her like a fleshlight and make a baby inside her. And then everybody can be much more comfortable with you because you're not having the gay sex. All that said, I don't have a problem with a companionate marriage. There's one moment in the show where one of the wives describes her relationship with her husband as, he's my husband and my best girlfriend. I don't want to shit on that. She clearly likes him, maybe even loves him. I don't think, as I've said a million times on this show, I don't think a marriage has to have sexual passion at its core to be legitimate or loving or valid or worthy of our respect. But I don't think delusion is worthy of our respect. And I don't think lies are worthy of our respect. The three guys, Jeff Curtis and Pratt, on this show are all ex-gay activists who are trying to talk other gay men out of being gay-identified, trying to slap the cocks out of our mouths. I don't have any respect for that. And I have no respect for distinctions without a difference. This distinction these guys are straining to make between being merely same-sex attracted and being gay is complete horseshit. I could respect, however, companionate marriage between two people who love each other, enjoy each other's company, want to parent together, and it's not about sex. And if the show were selling that, if it was a profile of gay men married to straight women and companionate marriages, I could have some respect for that. But that's not what this show is selling. This show is selling deceit, self deception, lies, indoctrination, hang ups, and bullshit. The world has seen enough ex gays come out as ex gays. That they can't sell this shit anymore. They can't even sell it to evangelical Christians anymore. They can't even sell it to Mormon bishops anymore. This idea that somebody who is gay can be changed, that God works little miracles and flips that switch in your brain. Nobody's buying it. And so what we get now is, oh, of course, you are still same-sex attracted. You will struggle against that all your life. But you should meet one woman. That you can pretend that you're attracted to, that you can con into believing that you're attracted to and stop living as an openly gay person and certainly don't ever get into a gay relationship or when we see you together, we have to picture what you do do in bed together. And I guess that's progress, right? Because they pretended to believe that ex-gay shit for a long time and a lot of ex-gays pretended to believe it for a long time. But we've seen too many ex-gay poster boys including Jonathan Polk, who was on the cover of Newsweek as the ex-gay poster boy, come back out as gay gay, as always gay, as never ex-gayed. What we get now is this new tack. Oh, of course you're still gay, but that doesn't mean you have to be gay. And that's the kind of progress. So I, for one, am looking forward to this going to series, which it probably will because so many of us hate watched it. I, for one, am looking forward to spending more time with Jeff, Curtis, Pratt, and Tom. I am anxious for America to spend more time with Jeff, Curtis, Pratt, and Tom. Because when you watch that show, what you come away with is that lady's husband is gay. That lady is a fool. And it would be better for everyone involved if those guys could just let themselves be who they are. And now your calls.
1: Dan, I'm a 24-year-old female straight. I just thought I would have fixed this problem by now. I've never had an orgasm and I've had amazing sex with guys I've loved. I've used different vibrators, like I've fingered myself. I feel like I've freaking done everything and it still just hasn't happened. Sometimes I'll be having sex and they'll be really good and I'll feel like a build and it just like goes away after a while. And I don't know what to do. My most recent boyfriend was cool about it, but like, Sometimes guys get hung up about the fact that they can't get me off. Honestly, I don't even care about that at this point. I don't have a fucking orgasm.
0: If you're a regular listener and you say you've been listening for a long time, you are familiar with the voice and the work of Dr. Debbie Herbenik. She's a researcher and prof at Indiana University and the Kinsey Institute. She's written great books like Because It Feels Good, A Woman's Guide to Sexual Pleasure and Satisfaction, and Read My Lips, A Complete Guide to the Vagina and Vulva. My first recommendation would be to pick up those books. My second recommendation would be to dump any guy who makes your orgasms about him. That it's a referendum on his skills and da-da-da-da. We we encourage straight guys and bi guys to be invested in her pleasure, right? That they should want to get you off. We can't on the one hand slam guys who don't give a shit whether the women they're with come or not. And on the other hand – you know, blow up at guys who seem overly invested in it. We want them invested in it, just not overly invested in it, I guess. So you say to them like, I've never quite gotten there. Sex feels really great. I love this. I want to do this. It's really intensely pleasurable. But if you're waiting for kapow and that doesn't happen for me yet right now, but it's not about you. Let's do this. This is about me too. And let's do this. And he has to take that for an answer and chill the fuck out because Performance anxiety, pressure, stress, none of those things added to your current circumstance are going to get you to orgasm. Having spoken to many, many women who were in your shoes, note the past tense there, were in your shoes, I would advise you to chill the fuck out and take a deep breath and continue to explore and enjoy and wait. This is contested now, but the the trope used to be that men hit their sexual peak as teenagers and women as Uh, adults men at 15 women at 30 Uh, and a lot of people say that that's not true or wasn't true for them but I think there's some truth to that and I think one of the pieces of evidence that points to that truth is a lot of young women who are not orgasmic as teenagers and in their early 20s by their mid to late 20s things start to kick into gear and I think that has something to do with sexual peak so the fact that you are engaged and enjoying sex at 23 24 uh, is a good sign. And maybe you're going to be one of those women who everything finally falls into place. Those neural pathways all get carved and you start coming at 28. And you say that you've used vibrators. You say that you've fingered yourself. You say that you've masturbated. Boys often will masturbate for years before they climax, before they have their first orgasm. But a lot of young boys, young men, teenagers, even preteens, will be playing with themselves and stroking and having it all feel good and da 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 For years before they have their first orgasm, you talk to guys about masturbation, if you talk to guys about their very first climax, the very first time they ejaculated, many of them are shocked at that first ejaculation because they'd been stroking themselves and enjoying it, enjoying the sensations for years without that happening. And then one day that happened and they thought they were dying. They thought that they were coming apart, right? Particularly boys who didn't have very good sex education. They were shocked by that first climax, but they'd been masturbating for years before that first climax. So if it's the case for you that you didn't start masturbating until you were in your late teens or early 20s, as is too often the case with many women, the neural pathways may not yet be carved. Just like those boys who were playing with themselves at 11, 12, and 13 before they had their first orgasm, their first climax, their first ejaculation, those neural pathways were making their way up and down and back and forth, right? It may be the case that you are with the sexual activity that you're enjoying now, you are carving those paths. You are creating those neural pathways that will get you to orgasm eventually. So relax and enjoy and smoke some pot. Really, I'm not joking about the pot. Smoke a little pot. Sometimes tension, sex negativity, self-consciousness can really inhibit. And a little bit of pot, masturbating, smoke some pot, masturbate or have some edibles and masturbate can really loosen you up. And maybe that may be the missing link. That may be the piece that gets you there. Try all those things and good luck.
3: Hi, Dan, 29 year old
4: male from Southern Ohio, married. My question is mainly about my, my wife uh, and her orgasm. Maybe I'm, I feel like I might be being an asshole about this. And hopefully I'm not, but I've been trying now for about, two years to help her get off. We've tried everything. I was willing to try anything that she wanted to try. If she said it made her horny, I would do it. I've tried with my mouth, my hands, vibrators. She says she's only had one or two orgasms, mainly when she was a teenager. She didn't like the feeling. I guess she didn't understand the feeling. And since then, she only masturbates right to the point where she thinks she may get off, and then she's she stops. We have sex right to that point, and then she stops. She'll let me eat her out right to that point, and then she'll stop. She never goes beyond that point. She's been doing that for decades now. She's been masturbating that way for decades. We've been having sex that way for about five years now, and I'm starting to wane on wanting to have sex or try to get her off anymore. I'm morally fixated, so I do like going down on her. I really enjoy it. But without the orgasm, I feel like the sex part is waning. I hope I'm not being an asshole about this, but I don't know what to do anymore. Uh, Sex doesn't feel the same anymore with trying to get a partner off who doesn't get off, doesn't really seem to care about getting off. She's happy getting to that point and stopping, but I really want to get her off.
0: On the one hand, I want to say you're being an asshole about this, which I think you know. On the other hand, again, I want to take some responsibility for your assholery because those of us in the sex advice industrial complex have been haranguing straight men for decades about their responsibility to get their partners off, to be invested in their partner's pleasure and orgasms. But you need to start listening to your partner. She enjoys sex. She enjoys being intimate. She enjoys what it is you guys do. She enjoys getting to that point where she can't go any further and then pulling back. She likes this. This is her. That's how she gets off. She is in her own way getting off. The only problem here is the problem that you're bringing to the table and you're bringing to her pussy, which is this sense that she's failed or you've failed if she doesn't come the way you think she should. Or enjoy sex the way you think she should. And you have to let that go. You have to focus on pleasure and mutual enjoyment and stop putting so much weight and importance on her orgasms. He says. The same guy who in 100 columns you can dig up online said that guys have to put tremendous weight and importance on their female partner's orgasms. right? But you also need to take your individual circumstances and your particular partner into consideration too and listen to her and there's something about climaxing and she's only in her mid 20s, early 20s, you're 29. You say this has been going on for decades. I think you mean years. You're 29. If she's roughly your age, this may kick into gear for her. Try some pot too. I might want to recommend pot. Pot wasn't on your list. I hate to sound like a marijuana evangelical, but pot can help because she's clearly, I think struggling with some shame perhaps and some feelings of helplessness and out of controlness that that she's she had these orgasms when she was very young and she felt outside herself. It sounds as if she felt sort of estranged from her body at, at that moment. That she didn't understand those feelings and that sensation, and she and she kind of psychologically shut them down because it felt dangerous. She's so out of control. Like an orgasm is a a powerful, powerful thing. You're really helpless when you're in the throes of an orgasm. And some people, particularly if they're very young, when they have those experiences for the first time, uh, hopefully solo, are overwhelmed by them and and afraid of them. And you piling on in her mid-20s and attaching this much importance and, and being this invested in it to the point that you don't want to have sex with her anymore isn't the way out. It isn't – you're not blazing a trail to to make her healthier and make her love her body. You're contributing to that disassociation that is perhaps the ultimate root problem. Get her Debbie Herbenix books. Because it feels good, read my lips. You read them too. Enjoy the sex that you guys have. Recognize the pleasure that she takes in it. These sensations, that getting up to the edge and stopping, those sensations along that way for her are very pleasurable – And you provide her with those. And it is fine for you to eat her pussy for you, for the pleasure it gives you and the pleasure that it gives her. And there are pleasures above, beyond, alongside just fucking orgasms. There's the physical intimacy, the sensations, the closeness, the connection, all the rest of it. And that has to have some value too. And if you could recognize the value in all of that and take the pressure off her – who knows, maybe she'll be one of those women who it starts to kick into gear at age 30 and she starts climaxing. But she's not going to start climaxing at age 30 if you're pouting in the corner and not fucking her anymore because she's doing her own body wrong and doing sex wrong. She isn't. She's on a journey, she's on a path just like you. She's discovered what works for her up to now. What works for her right now. Respect that, roll with it, go with it. Get her these books. Get some pot edibles, roll around, enjoy it, help her relax. And who knows what might happen, but even if it doesn't happen, she wants to fuck you. She enjoys sex. She's not fucking up your sex life, your marital sex life. You are. Knock it off, asshole.
5: Hey Dan, I'm a 37 year old man who's been straight man. Who's been married for 20 years this year. And I have a very active sex life with my wife. We get, uh, have sex about three to four times a week. But my main concern is that my wife never initiates sex. She will, uh, participate in pretty much all sorts of uh, of ideas that I have. Uh, you know, she has no problem with toys or with light kink or anything like that. But my biggest problem is she just won't initiate it. I mean, I've had the discussions with her that it makes me feel as though I'm not uh, attractive for her. Um, but she denies that. She says, no, no, that's not a problem. I've read articles and given her suggestions about how she can just use a, a simple word to me that might allow her to be more comfortable initiating uh, sex but she just won't do it and it really bothers me and I'm wondering if you can suggest any other things that I can do to have her be more open or uh, initiate uh, lovemaking
0: you could get her high seems to be the theme of the day you're 20 years into this marriage which is crazy cuz you're 37 I'm always telling people that people who marry young, marry in their teens and early 20s always get divorced. So you get to the exception, right? Married at 17, which is fucking nuts. Maybe you haven't been married uh, all those years. Maybe you guys met at 17, high school sweethearts, still together, still married. At a certain point, you have to accept that she is who she is. If somebody doesn't initiate and can't initiate and you know, a lot of sex shame gets heaped on women and a lot of women walk through their relationships really kind of banged up and damaged, even if they've never been sexually assaulted, even if they've never been a victim of intimate partner violence. There's just so much slut shaming and pressure that that can really warp someone. It can really shut certain parts of them down. And maybe your wife has been shut down. The, the, The part of her that if she grew up in a different kind of world where she would feel free and breezy about asking for dick when she wants dick, maybe that would be there. But she grew up in a world where a woman who wants dick and asks for dick is going to be judged. And some people internalize that judgment and maybe she's just really bottled up. But it sounds like every time you initiate, she's game. So it's not that she doesn't want to fuck you. It's just that she can't ask to fuck you or ask you to fuck her. And at 20 years, and you've been trying for 20 years to fix this, at a certain point you just have to roll with it. At a certain point you have to... Put the price of admission label on it and say, I will be the initiate. I am the initiator of sex in this relationship. That grieves me a little bit, hurts me a little bit. Sometimes it would be nice to feel like the wanted one, the pursued one. Sometimes it would be nice to be initiated at, but I love her. She loves me. The sex is good at 20 fucking years. That's the price of admission I'm willing to pay. I will be the instigator. I will be the initiator. The only other way around it is a conceit that would ruin it where you go to her and say, I need you to initiate. So in 45 minutes, I'm going to go jump in the shower. You're going to initiate and she will go, okay. But then you're initiating the initiation, which will ruin it because then you're still the initiator. So better, I think, to reconcile yourself to this thing that is unlikely to change unless you get her really, really high. And then who knows?
2: Hi,
1: Dan. Um, I'm a straight female. I'll be 25 next week. And my question is regarding my frustration and de- despair with my inability to achieve orgasm and my low sex drive generally. I certainly haven't experienced the kind of orgasm other women are having or have described to me. So I'll briefly explain my background. I was a victim of sexual assault as a young teenager and then again in college. But I've done a lot of therapy to deal with it and try to have a healthy sexual relationship with myself. I've tried using a vibrator, a basic egg one. I only attempted a couple times to no success. I really didn't know what I was doing and basically didn't do anything for me. I always thought, oh, when I'm with the right guy in a comfortable relationship, I'll be able to orgasm. And I've had only one serious relationship for five months and he was willing to take care of me and put in the time, but I wasn't into it. And I would ask him to stop um, I was really tired all the time and started dreading having sex with him to the point that it was a huge factor why I knew we needed to end things. I couldn't even get physically aroused. So not only could I not orgasm, but I have a low sex drive um, at least this year or something. Um, I think part of it is that I wasn't attracted to him, and, but also, you know, it could have been side effects of birth control, so I switched that up. Um, I've been on antidepressants for 10 years, which saved my life, and it's a big thing to mess with them like their dosage and different kinds, especially if they aren't even the problem. So I'm really, like, that's my last resort. But they could potentially be giving me, like, low as a side effect. Um, I know this is a lot, but basically <clears throat> I feel like I'm a freak and I'm doomed to be alone forever because of this. My logic is if I can't orgasm and ne- never in the mood for sex, then I will never have a su- successful um, healthy sexual relationship with someone. And if I don't have that, then how can I have a healthy romantic partnership with, that, with someone because that's a huge part of it. This gives me a lot of anxiety, which makes it worse and I feel really bad about myself and why my body won't just react the way it's supposed to. I wish made by Ever for Women, I guess. And if they do, let me know. Um, any advice for me on how to relax and not feel like a freak or a vibrator known to be great for first-timers, that would be great, too. Um, I feel really
0: helpless. Holy crap, there's so much going on here. It could be your antidepressants. They crater people's libidos and make some people uh, anorgasmic. So could be you might want to start mixing up your antidepressants. If they are the root cause of this, your antidepressants are now depressing you because you say you're sad and you say you're very unhappy about this state of affairs. could be your antidepressants. Also, certain kinds of birth control can crater or alter uh, women's libidos or desires. So you might want to If you are currently on birth control, get off birth control. You might want to try fucking somebody you're actually attracted to. You were with a guy and you were having sex, but it wasn't working for you. And then you just sort of casually toss off that you weren't sexually attracted to him. Well, that kind of matters when it comes to arousal and desire. You also, when you talked about experimenting with vibrators and masturbation, say you attempted it a couple of times Going back to my response to uh, someone else earlier when I mentioned how many times boys will just pleasure themselves, just stroke, masturbate, all these masturbatory sessions before they have their first climax, before they orgasm for the first time. It's not like a 13, 14-year-old boy wakes up one day and says, I'm going to ejaculate today and begins masturbating. There's experimentation with pleasure and sensation before those first climaxes kick into gear so that you only attempted masturbation twice before you gave up. You might want to give it another shot once you mix up those antidepressants, once you go off birth control, if you're still on birth control. An egg vibrator for some women doesn't provide enough sensation or enough deep tissue sensation. Remember, most of your clitoral tissues are buried deep within your body. There's the exposed head, but there is the clitoral shaft, the wings, these erectile chambers that are deep inside your body and – Just as some guys prefer stimulation of their shaft, when they masturbate, they will focus primarily on their shaft, not on their head. Some women need that sort of deep internal stimulation of their – the internal hidden parts of their clitoris. And an egg vibrator is not going to deliver sensation deep into your body. So you might want to try a Hitachi magic wand and you might want to try some pornography. You might want to read some erotica. You might want to read widely and broadly – Because you never know what your erotic imagination is going to seize on. Sometimes you encounter a story or a circumstance or a piece of erotica and it speaks to you and awakens something in you. So if you haven't been looking, if you haven't been out there exposing yourself to different kinds of erotica, different kinds of uh, pornography, you may not have had that aha moment. Your libido may have not had that aha moment. Complicated, of course, by your sexual assaults. Complicated of course, very likely, by your antidepressants, complicated, of course, by the fact that you've been with somebody that you were physically attracted to. So you need to really go back to square one. You need to get that vibrator. You need to focus on the pleasure, focus on the sensation without timing yourself, without becoming tense about this rush to orgasm. And just relax and enjoy and read and think dirty thoughts and see if you get there. But my hunch is that you're not going to be able to solve this problem unless you rejigger your antidepressants. You need to go to your doctor and you need to say that you are libido-less and and anorgasmic and you think it may have something to do with these antidepressants and what does she think and it may be time to try a a new antidepressant or a different dosage because while the antidepressants have done you a world of good and made you not depressed, this state of affairs – Not enjoying sex, not having a libido, not being orgasmic is making you depressed now. So your antidepressants are now a wash and it's time to mix them up or perhaps even to think about weaning yourself from them under the care of a physician, not just at the recommendation of a snarky faggot with a sex advice podcast. And pick up Debbie's books. Good luck.
6: Hi, Dan. This is a 19-year-old female, and I have a question about squirting. I've always been pretty sure that I could squirt, but for me, it doesn't happen at the same time that I come. It happens sort of like I come, and then three or four minutes after, I do it again, and then I squirt. But it doesn't really feel like I'm
1: actually coming the second time while I'm squirting,
6: I want to introduce this to something that I do with my partner, but I'm not sure because I don't know if this is the actual way that it happens or, I don't know, maybe I'm just
1: peeing. Thanks so much.
0: If you were online last week, uh, you would know or perhaps know or think you know the answer to this question. You know, you ask, I don't know, maybe I'm just peeing. Well, according to all the headlines everywhere, you're just peeing. Squirting is just peeing, say scientists. That was the headline advice. Uh, They summarized a a study where scientists took seven women who ejaculated, who who were squirters, who would ejaculate up to a cup of fluid uh, during orgasm, and they did ultrasounds and they examined their bladders. Uh, They had them go pee before they became aroused, and then they Examined their bladders with ultrasound, they were empty. But their bladders became full during arousal, and then they squirted. And they examined uh, chemically uh, the the ejaculate and found that it was mostly urine. And this went everywhere. So this study it shot all over the internet last week. It squirted all over the fucking internet. And a lot of women who are squirters uh, now feel very self-conscious and perhaps their partners feel very self-conscious because we've been saying for a long time that this doesn't appear to be urine. doesn't smell like urine. And uh, not that there's anything wrong with urine in some people's opinions, but you know, don't want to make the piss freaks feel self-conscious either. But the, this article, this this research, of the, this study of these seven women – would seem to reframe the whole debate around female ejaculation. Uh, but some people have a problem with the study and actually took the time to read it. And one of those people is Amy Luna Mandarino. She's a public speaker and blogger on gender, sexuality, relationships, and aging. She is the author of the upcoming book, The Sex Evolution, Great Sex, Great Love, Great Life, Evolving the Battle of the Sexes into an Alliance of Humanity. You can find out more about Amy Luna and her work at her website, thesexevolution.com. And she joins me by phone right now. Hey, Amy Luna.
6: Hi, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks for coming on the show. So I read this study, and a couple of things uh, leapt out at me. Or or just one thing that I thought was, okay, so we've been talking about female ejaculate for a long time. I witnessed it with my own beady little brown eyes 20 years ago during a previous radio show. Um, And we've been talking about it for a long time. And have I? And we've been talking about it for a long time. And it, it always occurred to me that, you know, if somebody becomes aroused and they gather up this fluid, it has to be gathered somewhere... In in her body before it goes flying out and perhaps – you know I read the study and thought maybe that would be the bladder would be the place that it would gather during arousal. Because they say these women emptied their bladders, became aroused, masturbated, came. So Mm -hmm. could – that was my theory and then I read your blog post and so I wanted to have you on. You went there but you also went somewhere else. Tell me your problem with this study and where you think they went wrong and why you think squirting is squirting and not peeing.
6: Well, there's so many problems with this study and also the way that it was reported um, that it's hard to know where to begin. But the first thing to say is that this is not really news. This is old news. The idea that what women squirt is produced and uh, in the bladder and comes through the urethra, it, that research goes back to the 1980s. So this is just, we're going over old territory here. The question that needs to be answered is how is it related to female sexuality and, you know, what are women's personal experience of it and how does it contribute to their pleasure and their experience of sexuality? But one of the the things that we need to point out first of all is what is urine? Many people don't realize that urine is 95% water. So what we're basically talking about here, if you look at the definition of urination, it's the body's way of flushing water-soluble chemicals from the body. So what these researchers found was that you know, the urine that these women urinated before the sexual activity contained less than 1% of urea and uric acid. That is a really microscopic amount. Um, And then after the sexual arousal, which did contribute to the filling of the bladder, it was connected to the sexual arousal the squirting. Interestingly, you can't even tell from the abstract if the squirting was related to orgasm because they didn't even bother to mention or quantify whether th- that's how invisible women's uh, subjective experiences in this study is they don't even mention whether or not the squirting was related to the uh, act of orgasm.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, and then after the orgasm, they tested the fluid, and it actually did have the uh, prostatic acid phosphatase, which is a fancy word for female ejaculate, in this fluid. And the, the word, so, the, the, the word
0: yeah. they describe it as prostatic specific antigen. Yes, and that's that is the word
6: used in the study.
0: That is uh, an antigen that's specifically produced by the prostate gland, which women
6: well, and the women we have well. It's, Thats correct, but then the other thing most people don't realize is we have this idea that male and female genitalia is polar opposite, and that's actually not true at all. Male and female genitalia both come from the same seed parts in every fetus that then differentiates into male or female. I actually have a video of this, an animation on my website that people can go and check out that shows this development. Women actually have all the same parts that men do. We actually get double internal erections of the wishbone shape of the clitoris. Mm-hmm. So men have the prostate gland, and women have the skin gland, which produces you know something similar to what men produce in their prostate, and that is the static specific antigen, which is you know what is referred to as female ejaculate. So there's female ejaculate, and then there's squirting. And the other problem with this, well, actually the problem with the article that was posted on um, I Fucking Love Science is she said, hey, science has posed the question, is this female ejaculate or is it adult bedwetting? Well, aside from the fact that adult bedwetting is a ridiculously shaming and infantile way to refer to a biological, physiological, sexual process that's natural, Mm -hmm. it's a close-ended question. It's, 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 It's really, really bad science. To look at a study with a closed-ended question, it's either female ejaculate or it's peak. What if it's a third thing? What if it's the female's body's way of flushing out the female ejaculate during orgasm? So I, call, I think what this study found, I came up with a new term, which is it's an orgasmic flush.
2: Mm-hmm. Why well, doesn't
6: have to be either. It's the body's way of cleansing these water-soluble chemicals, which is what prostatic-specific antigen is, from the body. And it's pleasurable for many women and their partners.
0: Also, it bears mentioning that this was a very small sample. They did this with seven women.
6: This is a qualitative study, not a quantitative study. Now, there is value to qualitative studies because they indicate certain things. And guess what? That is exactly what this study said. The language of this study said that it indicated what was the composition of, of what women squirt. But this is my problem with this clickbait type of headline of women are peeing is that, you know, by the time it gets three iterations away from that original study, the story changes. Mm-hmm. In the New Scientist article, you know, the title was Female Ejaculation Comes in Two Forms, Scientists Fine. And then Janet Fang, you know, writing for I Fucking Love Science, that turned into women are actually peeing. How, how did that happen? It, it, you cannot make a conclusion from a sample of seven women to a population of three and a half billion. You just
0: can't do it. And I'm actually looking at the study itself. And my takeaway here is because of the prostatic specific antigen that's present in the ejaculate after arousal that wasn't present in the urine gathered before arousal, (laughs) that this would seem to point to female ejaculation being a real thing and the bladder being involved. And there's there's urea in male ejaculate. So just the presence of urea doesn't prove that this stuff is piss. And, you know, and shout out to the piss freaks out there. Even if it was piss,
2: that's okay. <laughs> hey,
6: no shaming of, of any of the bodily fluids here. But uh, if, you, if you read carefully the abstract from this study, it's even more shocking what they found. It says in the study that in six out of seven of the women, the prostatic-specific antigen was not in the whatever fluid was expelled before sexual stimulation.
0: Right, that's what I was just saying.
6: But if you say six women didn't, that means one woman did, which means there was one woman that actually had female ejaculate in her whatever she expelled before she even had sexual activity. So that really makes all of these findings ridiculously suspicious because what it's saying is there's a lot going on in that bladder that gets mixed up. Mm -hmm. One of these women even had some residual female ejaculate in her bladder before she was even sexually stimulated.
0: Okay, let's have a thought experiment here. Even if it was peeing, yes, mixing an orgasm with piss and it being extremely pleasurable, there's nothing wrong with that. If guys well, could, if you. guys could mix up peeing and orgasms, guys would. If guys, guys <laughs> will, guys will mix orgasms into anything that they can. Right.
6: It's another thing on the à la carte menu. What's wrong with that? <laughs>
0: But this, but this, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are very squicked out by the idea of, you know, pee or any other thing their body excretes, you know, and people tend to lump piss in with shit when they talk about things that they would never do or that it's sexually disgusting um, and not arousing. But, you know, even if it were pee and your body and a woman's body because you know during sexual arousal the really the blood starts pumping and it's moving through all your internal organs including the internal organs that filter out uh you know urine to filter out waste um the bladder could be filling up at this time because of the it could be part of the arousal series of events sequence of fortunate events that results in this squirting and it's a different Exactly and and, and it's a different kind even if it was urine it's a different kind of urine. Yes. Because when people think urine or piss, they think dark yellow, morning, stinky. And, you know, most people who play with piss play with late evening beer piss, which is just hot water.
2: <laughs> Not
0: early morning. And this is kind of a sexual arousal beer piss production plant. I Well said. Well
6: named. Um, well, you know, what? what this drives me crazy because this study actually found the exact opposite of the way the researchers framed the findings because what this study found was that the bladder didn't fill up as a result of sexual activity. And by the way, there were seven women in this, this study. There have been at least seven other studies that have connected this excelling of the liquid at the moment of orgasm. So we know three things. We know, one, the bladder is feeling as a result of sexual stimulation right before orgasm. We know, two, the squirt happens during orgasm. And we know, three, from this study, that whatever was expelled contained female ejaculate. Now, that, to me, sounds like three conditions to say that this study actually confirms that squirting is part of female sexuality and it's connected to female ejaculation.
0: We're going to have to go. Were there any other points you wanted to cover briefly before we left this?
6: Well, I think it's important to consider researcher bias as well. The head researcher of this study, Samuel Salama, I believe his name was, he's quoted in the New Scientist article as saying that it's his belief that all women can work, quote, if their partner knows what they're doing. And that just portrays a really terrible bias on the part of that researcher that women are passive uh, participants in their sexuality and that men give women orgasms. In my workshop, Creating orgasm. I tell women, no one gives you an orgasm, it's your orgasm. One of the reasons why women have trouble uh, having inter- uh, orgasms during heterosexual intercourse is because it's taboo for the woman to stimulate herself using her partner's physiology. And his statement that uh, if their partners know what they're doing, it just sets up that same paradigm that women are passive participants. And ironically, some of the women in his own study stimulated themselves to squirt. So he's not even accurately reporting on his own uh, observations.
0: Amy Luna Mandarino, you can read more about her work, find out more about it at com, and look for her book coming out soon, The Sex Evolution, Great Sex, Great Love, Great Life, Evolving the Battle of the Sexes into an Alliance of Humanity. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone today, Amy Luna, really appreciate it.
6: Thank you, Dan, it was a pleasure.
7: Hi, Dan, how are you? I'm a 26-year-old straight male uh, living in a major market and... I am giving you a call today because I'm a relatively new listener, and I noticed that a lot of your callers and listeners have specific kinks and fetishes that they're into, and they seem to have identified this already. Um, Like I mentioned, I'm 26. I watch a lot of different kind of porn. I'm into a lot of different kind of stuff, I think, but I haven't exactly acted upon it yet. and. I was recently uh, reached out to through a swinging type of website that is looking for a cuckold. And it's something I'm really interested in doing. I'm meeting up with the guy tomorrow, and he's got all these ideas. And I told him that I'm inexperienced, but he's still interested in moving forward. Uh, The wife looks great, but he wants to have a somewhat active role uh, like opening her legs and masturbating during it. So it's something that actually really turns me on in theory, but I'm afraid that when I actually get into the situation that I'll be nervous and not perform or, you know, not not like it. Wondering what your thoughts are on trying to identify new kinks and seeing what I might be into and how to handle this
4: whole situation.
0: A quick primer or primer on uh, terminology. The cuckold is the husband in this situation. You are the bull, right? They are a cuckold. I'm the bull. You're the bull. They're the cuckold couple. He's the cuckold. You are the guy who is cuckolding him, but you're not a cuckold. If you're fucking some other guy's wife in front of him. He's the cuckold. She's uh, the hot wife and you are the bull, right? Correct. My advice to you is, you know, as you think about going into this, is to really talk to this couple. Have you met up with the guy yet? I'm meeting with them tonight. Oh, wow. This is uh, fortuitous. So there's really a spectrum here to to cuckolding. For some people, there's like a real humiliation element and a lot of dirty talk, uh, putting down the husband and humiliating him in the moment. Um, There can be some male-male contact that some cuckold couples want where to humiliate the husband who is perhaps straight identified, he has to... Jack, you know, masturbate you to get you hard to get to fuck her or, you know, clean her up and you up with his mouth afterwards. You need to have a conversation with them about their expectations. That's at the far end. Like a lot of cuckolds don't want that, but some do. And you need to draw them out about what they're looking for in a bowl, what they want from you performance wise. And then you need to lay out in front of them what you're comfortable with. And I think, you know, that first time meeting, the first time you get together with them to mess around, if you have performance anxiety, cause you've never been in this certain situation before it might be, right. it might be a really good idea to just say, you know, that first time we mess around, I don't want to have sex. I just want to make out with your wife and roll around sure. and dirty talk. And then if every, if it felt good, cause I've never done this sort of thing before we can make another
3: date. Okay. That makes sense. And yeah, I, I, I only occasionally have performance issues, but it's, it's more around being uh, uncomfortable with somebody. It takes me, Typically, a couple times to warm up uh, to my partner, or Tell, if, that's, if it's just somebody that I'm, I'm fucking, and that, that's, and that's I totally
0: think, reasonable. And I think you lay that out for them. You don't, you know, I don't. There's nothing wrong with you. Like, I, I it takes me some time to get really comfortable with with a new partner, so I'd like to hook up a few times and mess around before we fuck, and then I'll be, right? Then I'll be awesome. <laughs> And you know, if you're a desirable bull, if you're what they're they've been looking for, if you're the if she finds you attractive, if you're the type of guy they were looking for, um, they should want to invest one or two meetings in you before you get you move on to fucking. And you can write your own ticket. Like cuckold couples have to go out there and find a bull, and bulls are in demand. So you can you know you don't have to treat this like they're doing you a favor. You have to treat this like you're doing them a favor. You have to go into this with a certain okay. amount of confidence and bravado, which is usually what a cuckold couple is looking for, if they are indeed. And you need to draw them out about this in the conversation you're going to have with them tonight. You know What kind of cuckold couple are they? What kind of cuckold is he? Is this about humiliation and displacement and you performing in a way for his wife that he can't,
2: right? Well,
3: he has alluded to – yeah, I, definitely. I and mean, then he has alluded to well, – and by alluded, I mean, we've explicitly – been going back and forth in text messaging that he wants to spread her legs for me, and he wants he, he's excited to watch me go inside of her. And, mm-hmm. and I asked him if he'd be masturbating, and he said, "Yeah, you know, I, I usually like to do that." And I said, "How much control do I have over the situation? Like, can I tell you what to do? Can I tell her what to do?" And he said, "You know, we should probably talk about it." Um, and I agree. I, I want I want her there. I want to make sure everything's hundred percent consensual and that. I have sort of my go-ahead green light to do what I want, um, but I want permission beforehand. And and it's just a touchy subject to talk about it. I've never done anything like that.
0: Right. And you shouldn't have to do anything that you're not comfortable with either. And, you know, if you've never had, uh, you know, a uh, male-male-female three-way and and you're a straight guy, that, you know, for some straight guys that can be a little, uh, you know, squicky, the presence of another man. And so that may be something right. that you, sh- that you, that's going to take you some time to acclimate to or get used to or learn to enjoy in this context. So uh, it would be perfectly reasonable for you to say, we should move toward you opening her legs for me, you, uh, you know, masturbating while this is happening. But I think maybe the first time, I think you should sit quietly in a chair and let me fuck your wife in front of you without you touching yourself or her. And, if if you're the desirable bull and you are in that moment for you to lay it out is here's what i'm comfortable with to start and we can move toward you know your ideal situation once i'm you know more comfortable with your presence is perfectly reasonable and if they balk at that maybe you're you should move on and find a you know not
3: the desired bull yeah. right
0: they're not the desired couple if you if you, if being the bull in a cuckold situation is something that you would like to do there are other couples out there who will respect your limits and wishes and your process as you move towards more comfort with the presence of another dude in the room while you have sex with his wife.
8: Awesome. That's a great idea.
0: I would, you know, you meet with the guy tonight. I would encourage you to maybe go read a bunch of, there's a lot of cuckolding blogs out there, a lot of cuckolding porn out there. You don't have to. You know, you're not an actor and you don't have to play this role, but for an idea of usually what cuckold couples and cuckold husbands are fantasizing about, you know, who the bull is, you might want to do a little bit of reading without it creating a sense of performance anxiety because, you know, those are fantasy scenarios.
3: I haven't looked into it much outside of talking to a friend that knows about this. I mean, the terminology was just explained to me by you, so I didn't even know that I was the bull, Uh, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I should probably figure this out a little bit more. I I don't want to go into this too nervous.
0: And if you're, you know, don't do that thing that sometimes people do when there's a sexual opportunity, the sexual adventure that's been, you know, presented to them that they can have. Don't think that if you don't seize this opportunity, it will never come again. There are tons of cuckold couples out there looking for. You know, guys who might be game and if you're squicked out by this couple, if you're not attracted to them, if they give you a bad feeling, if they're not respectful of your boundaries and what you're comfortable with doing initially, then say thank you and goodbye and live in hope that another cuckold couple will approach you or throw yourself out there on cuckolding websites as a new and willing bull, as somebody who'd like to go there and explore this. You don't have to settle for these two if they don't work for you. They're not the last cuckold couple in New York. I promise you there are many.
3: Okay. Well, thank you. Honestly, that, that's very helpful. I appreciate it. Good
0: luck. And give us a call back and let us know how it all turned out, the meeting and if you get together, how that turned out too. We'd, I'm sure everyone would love to hear how this
3: plays out. I will definitely give you a call and let you know, Dan. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Bye.
6: Hi, Dan. I am a 30-year-old female. I've been married for a couple of years and I've been with my husband for eight years at this point. I was calling because we were actively involved in the swimming community And this is probably a very common problem. It's much easier for me to find dates than it is for him. And um, so what we've been doing is we will go to these finger events, either separately or together. And if it's separately, it's usually just me. And I'll go and I'll meet people and I'll hit it off with them. Everything will be great. And they say, oh, yes, absolutely. We'd love to meet your husband. That sounds really fun. And they meet him and it just doesn't really click. So I, I don't know what it is. I think, I mean, it, it's taking a real hit on his self-esteem. He I think he's worried that he doesn't live up to the standards of the swinging community. And I'll be honest, as a woman in the swinger community, the standards are not good. Um, it's rare for me to find men in our situation who I'm attracted to. Like when you get on the set life and the swing lifestyles of the world, the men are not good and my husband is cute and in shape and he's interesting and smart. And I, I don't really honestly know the problem is, but this has happened several times where it's like the girls go, Oh yeah, I know we like you. You're great. But just wasn't a fit. I wasn't attracted to him. And I'm not really sure what I should be doing. If there's something I should do to like support him. And I know in the past you've advocated, well, you know, I could recommend him to people, but we're not socially out as swingers. So I can't be like, hey, girlfriend of mine, who's looking for a partner, come fuck my husband. Like, I can't really say that because nobody really knows that we're swingers. We do this kind of off of Craigslist and I go to clubs. So I want him to have a good time. I don't want him to get fed up with it. It's just much easier for me than it is for him. So if you have any advice, I would really appreciate it and how I can support him and make him feel attractive and wanted because he is.
0: Joining me by phone, Cooper Beckett. He's the author of my life on the swing set, Adventures in Swinging and Polyamory and the host of the Life on the Swing Set podcast. So Cooper, I've heard this a million times, a couple, straight couple, they either open their relationship or they go into swinging and they join the sort of organized swinging scene and she has guys lined up. She has no problem finding other play partners and he can't get laid to save his life. And then, you know, he begins to resent it and it curdles the whole swinging thing for them. Why is that so common?
8: Well, it seems to be common in, in both swinging and polyamory. And I think uh, one of the reasons it is, is because often in those relationships, one person is sort of doing the fishing for the couple they're out looking for people they're being the active one and then they're bringing people back into the relationship and often that can create a dynamic where the person who's being brought a person is not clicking so it it, it makes it very difficult if both people aren't actively looking for uh, swing connections.
0: So you don't think this is about uh, gender? You don't think it's just easier for women to get laid that men are pigs?
8: Well, I definitely think it is easier for women to get laid in, in well, pretty much in general, but in the swinging lifestyle especially. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of proactive work to, to find that four-way connection, especially if you're trying to date couple on couple. Mm-hmm because that is the hardest dynamic to find in swinging. So it's probably really easy for her to go out to a party as a single girl and pick up a guy or pick up a couple because they're all excited. Hey, they found a unicorn. Right. And so then when it's like, oh, but by the way, I have a husband at home. Yeah, we'd like to meet him.
0: And then it doesn't necessarily click. Now, one of the things I know about the swinging scene and organized parties is that single men aren't really welcome or desired.
8: Yeah, it's it's a hard thing because sw- single men in swinging have really uh, ruined it for the rest of them. So the good guys who are really genuine and and uh, nice and great single men, they have to do a lot more work on their part to make up for all the really shitty single males that swingers have encountered. What
0: what what is a what's the shitty single male in the swing scenes mo? How do they ruin it for all the other single guys who are good and decent?
8: Well, at parties, they're in general creepers, I have found. Uh, they they sort of can glom their way into a situation without being asked. They're not great with consent. Mm-hmm. And so they, the nice swinger guys sort of hold back and wait for the couple to approach them. But that may not happen.
0: Because that couple's been approached by so many creeper single guys at that point that they don't want anything to do with single guys at a swing party. And a lot of swing parties and events – bar single guys no single men allowed
8: yeah absolutely so or they try to gender balance it so there's there's an even number of single females and single males but the problem is the community in general is far more geared towards finding those single females so it leaves a lot of single guys kind of hanging around uh waiting you know towards midnight oh boy last call we should get something started
0: Okay, th- there's something that she said that uh, that uh, that is perhaps risable, and I wonder if you're going to rise to it. The men in the swinging community <laughs> are not good, and she she seems to be framing that as a as an aesthetic critique that her husband uh, is yeah, much more that. her husband is much more attractive than the average guy in the swinging community, and that somehow makes him less desirable and less marketable. Yeah,
8: e- and she to be having no to that? problem. I I would like to respond to that, Dan, Uh, but I'll I'll respond to it in a way that's not defensive. You know, swingers are like any other community, and there's a wide variety of age and and looks and attractiveness and intelligence. And I don't buy that, you know, her experience of the swing community is just all unattractive men, because obviously she's having a lot of success in finding people she's interested in. So
0: So, so so she's, she's, she's finding guys that she's attracted to. So, yeah, so her her, that's what it sounds like. her argument that her husband is just too physically attractive to get laid in the swinging community <laughs> doesn't wash with you. <laughs>
8: no, I, I don't. I don't see that being
0: the problem. I think the problem is that they went into this uh, without seeing this coming. They didn't know enough about the swinging scene to know yeah. that you know a, an opposite sex straight couple goes into swinging and it's easy for her to line up partners and it's more work for him. And maybe he's withdrawn a bit and maybe he's allowed his resentment. Yeah. And, you know, his shattered expectations because he thought he'd be swimming in pussy to curdle him. And he may be going into these events or these meetings with these couples that she finds with a chip on his shoulder that is unattractive. That is so unattractive yeah. that however physically attractive he is, it's swamping it. And so he needs Absolutely. to he needs to adjust his expectations. He needs to accept that it's going to be harder for him to find female partners than it is for his wife to find male partners. He needs to accept her help that she's, you know – Going out there fishing, as you said, and bringing some people home and he needs to not look askance at those people or or be so curdled by resentment that they're turned off by his attitude or tone when he meets Yeah. Because I think that's probably the problem. Not that he's so hot no one wants to fuck him but that he's so upset about how little success he's had thus far that it's queering his meetings with people who might be interested in him.
8: And that feedback loop, nothing is less attractive than that feedback loop of I'm unattractive. Mm -hmm. But my thought, uh, a way that they could get around this is instead of doing it as a split up thing, why don't they go on one of the swinging websites and start looking for couples as a couple and then interact with them the first time as a couple? I think that'll give them far more success than this uh, one person's going to go out and grab a couple and then bring it back for the other.
0: And there's the package deal. A lot of couples who... We only play together. We only play together. And that may cost you some people that you want to play with solo who don't want to play with both of you. But then you're kind of in it together. And then things Mm -hmm. get fair. Sometimes you may wind up in bed with somebody who's just into your partner and not necessarily into you. But if they're decent and game and fun and considerate and compassionate, they're not going to broadcast that to your partner.
8: Right. I think uh that that they can have a lot of fun in this lifestyle if they if they sort of leave the judgments a little bit more at the door. There's a the the wonderful thing about swinging is the variety of people that you can play with and people that I in the past did not find attractive I have found that after some time or talking to them my entire uh perception of them has changed.
0: But our practical advice are go out as a couple Adjust your expectations yes. so you're not swamped with resentment because that's unattractive. And present yourselves as a package deal.
8: Absolutely.
0: Before we let you go, Cooper, how long have you been a swinger?
8: I've been a swinger for about six years now.
0: And how were you brought into it?
8: Uh it was it was a uh... Thing that my ex-wife and i did because we both got we got married young we both had very little sexual experience and we realized at the same time we both wanted to fuck other people and we thought well there is something we can do about that
0: that's not cheating so you're divorced now are you a single guy in the swing scene yourself
8: i i am uh i am currently pro- i have a primary partner mm-hmm. and i am we we date together and we date separately. So we sort of do free agent type swinging dating.
0: Can we talk about a fear and I think a, a stereotype that a lot of people have about swinging that if you're a couple, a married couple, a long-term couple, and you get involved in swinging, you're going to end up breaking up. And you and your wife got involved in swinging and then ended up getting divorced. Did it contribute?
8: Well, and actually, that was a, that's a funny thing because one of the things that swinging did for us was it Opened up a whole lot of new communication and new awesome in our relationship. So it gave us probably four four or five more years than we would have had otherwise. Mm -hmm. And the only problem was once the new and exciting parts of swinging started to mellow a little bit, we realized that all those same problems that we were having before swinging were still there. So I don't attribute our divorce at all to non monogamy. It was just the same kind of relationship stuff that everybody has.
0: Are you and your wife on good terms? Your ex-wife on good terms though? We are. Did would you say that swinging helped create that amicable divorce in a way? Did it did it make the the parting easier? Yeah, we because we learned how to talk about our issues more
8: and because we were close to a lot of other people, we had a wonderful support structure as we were going through the horrendous process that is a divorce. And the divorce is awful, even if you're on good terms.
0: Cooper Beckett, he's the author of My Life on the Swing Set, Adventures in Swinging and Polyamory. And he is the host of Life on the Swing Set, a podcast. You can find it at lifeontheswingset.com. Any final thoughts, Cooper, before we let you go?
8: I recommend that everybody who's opening up to try and trying non-monogamy, just give it a good, relaxed try. The less expectations you have, the more fun you're
0: Thanks for jumping on the phone today, Cooper. Really appreciate it. My pleasure.
9: Hey, Dan. Okay, so I'm gay, mid-30s, been with my husband 11 years. We've been married five of those. And for the last three years, we've had two foster kids living with us. It's been a wonderful experience. We hope to be able to adopt them very soon. But a couple days before Christmas, we got word that their older sister had been placed to assist them and needed a home placement. So we opened our home to her, and she is lovely, lovely in all the all the ways that matter, very smart, very sharp, beautiful, well-mannered, soft-spoken, really good for her brothers. It's all going really well, except there's this one giant loony issue, and that is that she came to us, and after a little bit of probing, we realized that she has a boyfriend with whom she has been having unsafe sex um, for quite some time, and of course, she desperately wants to see this boyfriend and continue to see this boyfriend. Uh, oh, I should say that she's nearly 16. She turns 16 in a couple of weeks. We're in a really good position because, you know, her placement with us is, you know, potentially in jeopardy should we step outside of, you know, any rules or regulations that might exist in the foster care system, but we want to, you know, obviously be very set positive with her. But she is just barely 16 and has not demonstrated, you know, a very mature attitude about sex up until, up until now, considering that she's been having, you know, very unsafe sex. Um, we did take it to Planned Parenthood, to all the testing, done, hopefully have gotten her some of the education that she needs. And we've had a very open and very straightforward dialogue about this. And ultimately, it's come down to there's a lot of pressure from the boyfriend for her to have sex with him. She probably has been doing so largely because she's felt pressured. But she wants to be able to continue to have sex, she says, and she, and she wants to be able to do it at our house. But this girl, she's only been with us a couple of weeks. You know, so ultimately, I think we've bought ourselves a certain amount of time. I think we've made it very clear that, you know, her place would potentially be in jeopardy and that, you know, we're just getting to know her and it's just not something that we can really, um, can really move on at this moment. But at a certain point, we really just have to make a decision about whether or not we're comfortable with her having sex at our house. You know, personally... I you know i um when I was sixteen, you better believe that I was having sex all over the place and places that were not very safe and it sure sex would have been better if I had a, a safe place a safer place to have sex, but it, I just don't really know and I should also say that the department you know d c f s <laughs> has no good answers on this. You better believe they've got very very firm alcohol policies drug policy, but when it comes to sex, the consenting minors, they just don't have any good guidelines. So, I can really use um, your opinion here. I'm getting opinions left and right, but I'd love to have one from
0: Dan Savage. There's a fascinating book called Not Under My Roof Parents, Teens, and the Culture of Sex by Amy Shallett. And one of the interesting things she unpacks is uh researchers went to 32 American parents and asked them if they would let their teenager have their boyfriend or girlfriend spend the night in their house, their teenager have a sleepover with their romantic partner. And 29 of these 32 American parents said, no fucking way. But when they put the same question to parents in Holland, to Dutch parents, the exact reverse. The vast majority said, yes, they would let their teenage son or daughter have a romantic partner spend the night in their home. And the teen pregnancy rate in Holland, birth rate, abortion rate, all so much lower. So Dutch parents who are letting their kids have – basically supervised overnights in their house, have sex in their home with their romantic partners as teenagers seem to be doing a better job of protecting their kids than American parents who forbid it. Right? The sex negativity that you're worried about really does impact the foster placement Regiment out there. If you are outside the mainstream on this, if it gets back to the social workers that you are letting her have sex in your home with her boyfriend, she could very well wind up being removed from your home, which takes the decision out of your hands in a way that may be convenient if you are not so into the boy that she is seeing or she's not so into him if she is indeed feeling pressured to have sex that she doesn't want to have. This could make it harder for her to have sex with him just logistically. And you don't have to take responsibility for the decision because you're just honoring what the foster care system uh, is asking you to do or not allowing you to do. All that said, you marched her to Planned Parenthood. I hope you got her on a long-term birth control method so that she doesn't worry about that. If she's having unsafe sex or unprotected sex, there's still STIs to worry about. But if you got her an IUD or you got her an implant, You don't have to worry about an unplanned pregnancy screwing up her life at 16. If and when she becomes your daughter, you can revisit this decision about sex with her partner under your roof. The Dutch outcomes are better with teenagers being allowed to have their romantic partner spend the night. Why are they better? Well, I think having to look into the eyes of your teenage girlfriend's parents or teenage boyfriend's parents instills in a kid or the boyfriend or girlfriend of that kid, a sense of responsibility and obligation and accountability. Right? They're a part of the family. They are going to be held accountable. They are being scrutinized. And they're being invested with a certain degree of trust. And I think being treated that way makes kids feel more responsible and behave more responsibly. And the evidence in Holland bears that out.
10: Hi, Dan. I'm calling from a large Midwestern city. I'm a 26-year-old bisexual woman. I'm calling with the maybe all too cliche question about sleeping with my massage therapist. She's a woman I've been going to for massages for about six months, so I've maybe been to her a total of four, five, six times. I feel like she hasn't crossed any sort of lines, but has definitely made lots of openings for me to cross the line. And I know that this is sort of a, you know, a stripper, like trying to make the guy she's dancing for think she actually likes him, except that a lot of these almost come ons come not when I'm on the table, but come like before or after there have been, you know, like almost invitations to hang out or sort of like looking for invitations to hang out. Today, she sent me a follow-up email from my last massage visit and not about anything about massage or hoping to see me soon. So it was totally friendly, but it was also totally not massage related. Lots of great to see you. I'm so glad you came in. Lots of exclamation points via text message. And so I'm wondering what to do I'm interested in sleeping with her but not in dating her and also not paying for it and also primarily like she's a great massage therapist and I'd prefer to keep her as a massage therapist more than I would prefer to sleep with her so just wondering about your thoughts or if you're laughing at me for basically doing what a dude does at a strip club and thinking with his dick.
0: I'm not laughing at you for doing like a dude does and thinking with your dick. I'm laughing at you for doing like a lesbian does and wringing your hands and hesitating. If you want to hit on her, you should hit on her. If you want to ask her out, you should ask her out. She's in this position, particularly if she works for someone else, if she's not an independent contractor, if she hits on you and has misread your signals and you're offended and you complain to the medical center where she works or the clinic where she works, she gets fired for hitting on a client. So she has opened herself. She has invited you to hit on her because if you hit on her, nobody gets fired. She's not going to lose her job. And if you've misread her signals and you hit on her and it was unwelcome, I bet she's used to deflecting these things, right? She's a massage therapist. Sometimes people become attached to their massage therapists or or, uh, attracted to them. Same thing with shrinks, regular therapists. And part of that job is deflecting those things. But the risk is all on her side. She hits on you, you get angry, she loses her job. You hit on her, if she gets angry, you have to see somebody else, right? Or she deflects. But she's sending you chatty emails and she's giving you signals and there you are wringing your hands instead of having the sex with your massage therapist that you could be having. That said, if you value her services as a massage therapist more than you would value the one or two fucks you'd like to get out of this, then don't hit on her. Because if she develops a case of feelings when all you want is her pussy on your face, then you're not going to be able to continue to see her as your massage therapist. Once it goes south, so you decide what you want more pussy or the massage. And then you hit on her. If you want the pussy more than the massage, or if you're willing to risk the massages for the pussy,
1: good luck. Hi, Dan and whatever delinquents answer his phone calls. I'm 26 year old straight girl I love you and your show, but I get frustrated when people ask questions that Google could answer. Well, I Googled mine, and while the answers were entertaining, they were not informative. I asked my doctor, but she gave me a bullshit answer. It may sound really gross. Believe me, it is. But sometimes my downstairs smokes. It's like you're peeing, and you see, like, a vapor or a smoke or a thing. It's inexplicable, but other people online have it, but no one seems to know. What's
0: the deal? We were talking at the beginning of the show about female ejaculate and maybe it's female ejaculate. You're just so aroused that it's turning to steam. That's how hot and bothered you are. I don't know the answer to this question. And if Google failed you, Google will probably fail me. So we're going to toss this out and crowdsource it. Steam rising from vaginas, vapor. Anybody? Anybody? Anybody got the answer? Anybody know? Any obscure sexual research journal out there? that's covered this, vaporizing vaginas, give us a call. Let us know what you know because I don't know shit about this.
2: Hi
9: there. I have a tip for the teacher um, with a student, a queer student whose parents were eye studying that student, taking them out of school, all that. I'm calling to encourage that that teacher and others in similar situations go ahead and call Child Protective Services or DCFS, whatever it is in your jurisdiction. The reason for that is that Emotional abuse is emotional abuse. And increasingly, you're seeing um, jurisdictions that are willing to look at this kind of thing to be inherent emotional abuse on, under the surface there and willing to open up files and ask questions and um, and potentially empower those those teenagers, as they often are, to be able to find ways to get, either get out of those homes or find other ways to, uh, to live their lives.
10: Hey, Dan. I'm
6: calling about the caller on Episode 429, who is concerned about
10: having sex with her baby in the room. Having two children of my own and knowing lots of people who have more than one child, let me just say that
6: if you don't get okay with having sex with your kid in the room, you're probably not going to
9: have any more kids. So, good luck, and yes, get fucking
10: as soon as possible.
0: And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. A couple of upcoming things to let you know about. Friday, February 13th, Valentine's Day Eve. We're doing a live taping of the Savage Lovecast at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. We're calling the show Unlucky in Love. It's for all the bitter single people out there. Come out the night before Valentine's Day have some fun. For tickets and more information, go to portlandmercury.com slash love. Also coming up, mark your calendars, the second annual Hump Tour. Hump is the Pacific Northwest's biggest, best, and only amateur porn festival. We took it out on tour last year for the first time in 10 years. We're doing it again this year. We're starting to add dates. San Francisco, Philadelphia, you are first up. For tickets to Hump, go to humptour.com for dates and info. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Cooper Beckett on Twitter at OnTheSwingSet. And follow Amy Luna Mandarino on Twitter at Amy underscore Luna. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk Then and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of The Savage Lovecast.